This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. Jim is not here. Jim is on sabbatical, and so hopefully he's resting and uh, behaving himself. But I have a special treat for you in the light of Jim being gone. And that is, I have a new friend in the studio with us that we're going to have a conversation about. Doug Logan is here. So, Doug, thanks for being here, man. Hey, man. Honored, bro. Just met you. Love you already. Ready to steal books <laughs> off your library. That's right. That's right. We're both getting texts like, oh, you guys need to do this and talk about this. Like, All right, fine. We'll just record it. Amen. How about that? Amen. That's, that's what we're doing And right we'll now. dog the people who text me. That, that's right. That's right. I'm not going to say no names. Mike Mazzee. <laughs> we got we, we, we're calling a lot of people out i think as we're as we're doing this so matthew spandler davidson oh, is in the room the canadian that's right and so the real i always said australian but but that's okay. that that'll be a different podcast episode <laughs> so anyways i want to but if want to first say that um if you need to uh, re, get any to our resources practicalshepherding.com there's always the place you can go and uh, let us also go to the contact page if you want us to tackle some topics later down the road. Um, we, we'd love to hear from you in that way. What I want to do for this episode, though, is I'm, uh, Doug and I actually flew in on the same plane, uh, thanks to Matthew. So we've been hanging out a bit, and, uh, and I have followed his ministry. I'm grateful for him and excited about what he's doing. So I wanted to be able to take a chance, just have a conversation, record it, and talk about his life and ministry. But I also, as you, as you know, we focus on doing practical pastoral ministry stuff. And Doug's been a pastor for a long time in some really unique contexts. And I I just think that he would have a lot to, to help many of you who listen about just being a faithful pastor and what that means. And so, Doug, thank you for taking the time to chat, man. God be the glory, brother. Glad yep. to be invited. At least I fed you first, right? Yes, then, yes. We, we, so, we, we ate good. So that we was good. good. I first want to say, uh, just let you like kind of tell everybody where you're from. Uh, like a, a little bit of background, uh, like kind of upbringing, and then you know conversion, call into ministry. Can you kind of just tackle yeah, all that? Yeah, I'll, I'll do that in chicken meat nuggets, man. So born and raised, um, I was raised, ruined, and resurrected in New Jersey. Okay. So grew up in Patterson, which is North Jersey near New York. Wind up coming to South Jersey and pastored in Camden, planted a church called Epiphany Camden back in 2011 as a church plant of 10th Presbyterian Church. And Epiphany Philly, my spiritual father, Eric Mason, Epiphany Philly sent me along with Paul Tripp, Phil Riken, Um, And one of my big heroes is a guy by the name of Marion Clark. They sent me to Camden 2011. So um, been married now about 26 years, three kids, okay. 32 24, 23, hmm. by God's grace, all born again, three grandkids, and a great-grand on the way oh, right wow. now. Great. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, man, um, conversion for me, bro, was grew up in a Christian home. Well, my mother was a Christian. My father was, he, you know, he from the South, so everybody black in the South in the 50s was a Christian. Yeah. And so, you know, he grew up, as we, you know, we grew up in hood. We all went to church. So we had a, we had a, a little spooky-dooky Christianity that, lack salvation but it had an idea so grew up in that in and around christian talk bible talk and all that came to faith in 1996 at 26 years old okay um was living with a young beautiful atheist girl mm. um i thought i got left behind so i came to faith that way man i just accepted christ random huh. um trusted christ came in told my wife that my girl, she was my girlfriend at the time that we needed to get married. So she said, okay, we'll get married. So we went and got married the next day. Huh. So wow. I, the way I see the Bible is if you become a Christian, you got to serve immediately. 
I saw what I saw. People got saved. The next thing you know, they was preaching. So I was trying to preach on the street the next week. I owned a barbershop at the time. So I was preaching the worst sermons ever in the history of sermons <laughs> at that barbershop. A week after I was saved, didn't know. I don't even think I owned a Bible and I was trying to preach the Bible. Okay. And um, so, yeah, converted in 1996, married. And, um, man, and from there I just got adopted by a couple of great men who invested in me and a bunch of um, – Christian, but a bunch of church mothers, we call them in the black church, um, they just loved on me and my kids and my wife and navigated us. And man, from there, um, by God's grace, man, um, planet 2011, started a seminary 2019, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm 50 and I'm sitting here with you, full from that wonderful steak we just had. Wow, man, that's great. All right, so you, you, your first church plant was you said two thousand and eleven. And eleven. Well, okay. I did a replant that 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 failed. Okay, it was in um, um, I don't want to say it failed. That's a people who listen to it would say that were there say we didn't fail. It it couldn't. It was the building was eating our lunch. We were in the most poor section of the city. Yeah, in Kensington section of Philadelphia. By God's grace, we went from twenty. To about 65, 75 people, which was amazing, but mm. we were all poor people. Yeah. And um, yeah, so the, the electric bill was more than our offerings for a month. Yeah. And so we handed that over. So that was in Kensington, that was Calvary Bible Church. Okay. Um, all white church. I was the first black member and I was the pastor. Wow. And um, it was a great Plymouth Brethren Church. They loved me. Man, I cry every time I think about those older ladies. I talk about when I got there, my youth group was 70, 72, 73, <laughs> 78. And then I had the 90s. I had a group of 90s, a group of 70s, a group of 80s. Yeah. My youngest ones, my youth group was 70. <laughs> my college ministry was 80. <laughs> That's and, great. Um, well, the reason I, I appreciate you talking about that because there's a lot of pastors who listen to this. They're in the middle of like that kind of ministry, the, the replanting and yeah. can relate to everything you just said. Well, you... We talk a little bit more about that. The like, so you you were there how long, and what made you just decide like you weren't able to just keep? There's a lot of it just the building just swallowed you up in a lot of ways. Yeah, man. Well, in essence, Brian, from you know, I had a a, a narrow view of pastoral ministry. Okay, I grew up in a National Baptist church, and pastoral ministry meant preaching. Yeah, and wearing the cool robe, and you know, vision and being a leader. Um, not evil, but very narrow. Yeah. And so one thing we do is we didn't believe in planting churches. I never heard that word. We candidated at empty churches. So we would candidate a church. We'd come in with our new suits and swag and new gospel vision of how we're going to do church. Mm -hmm. And um, my wife is white. I didn't get much acceptance in the African-American church, period. Hmm. Period. Okay. There was a lot of racism against her. Huh. Um, and I didn't do well with that. Like people saying racism to my wife, African-Americans speaking racist against my wife and pretty nasty against me. I was your Uncle Tom. I was your sellout and all of that hmm. stuff. And so I was disillusioned and um, hurting. And man, and then I um, put my resume in um, to a church that invited me to, to guest speak. I guest spoke. My uncle recommended me, and then they asked me what I'd give him my resume. It was a little small white church in Philly, so I got the church. Okay. So when I came in, it was about 24, 25 people, faithful, older people. Let me give you context. Okay. 
church was about 100 years old. The worship leader had been the worship leader at that church for 80 years. Whoa. <laughs> 80 years. Her mother was pregnant with her when they started the church. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, so, so she was... About ninety something at that point. So I inherited a crazy music person, but you get—I think you get the award on that one, man. <laughs> Godly as all get out, Anna Noble. Love her so much. She was a Tiani little lady, and um, I asked her to play a song, and I says, "I don't want to tell you what to do because you've been playing at this church longer than I've been, tri- double the time I've been on earth." Mm-hmm. She said, "Pastor, as long as you keep preaching that word like that." I'll play any song you want. That's great. So coming into that in terms of revitalization, I needed to figure that out. So I went and reached out to several people. Um, That became my route to Bill Crispin and others who began to give me insight, not into what I had seen at that point, which was going in there, getting cool brochures, making a better sign, cleaning up the sanctuary, making the music more cool and all of that. That's what I had seen up to that point. That was revitalization. But no, as I began to talk to people, um, a lot of the guys I encountered were Presbyterians. Bill Crispin in Philly, the starter of Cuts in Philly back in the day. So he he didn't have that for me. Hmm. He told me, you got to replant the church. Hmm. And I was like... What is plant to church? You're talking about replant, you know. Uh, <laughs> and so from that, he coached me through a replant revitalization motif okay. that he said may not work. Mm. He says, um, and then it essentially was church planning strategies to almost like relaunching. Mm. And so it became with, you know, ministry building, team building, small groups, all of that. So I got borrowed members from partner churches that came over to tithe and help us. Wow. One of which who was Joe Marlin, who one of my spiritual sons, we planted him at Epiphany, Gloucester City. Um, yeah, in a, um, he came through our residency. So he came with me from another church, and we just tried to replant. And um, I didn't know enough. I was reading and learning. I was going to conferences learning. Mm-hmm. And I did not have the chops. So, I mean, we did stuff like launch small groups, recast vision. By God's grace, we got somebody to donate a logo. We did refresh the building. We did do evangelism canvassing strategies. We did multiple outreaches. I started a whole literacy thing for teaching the Bible. We did all that stuff. So, um, Hmm. and it it didn't work. How Um, long did it last? So I got there in 03. And I left in 07. Okay. I left in 07. But we gave the building away to a friend of mine, and he's still there right now. Really? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, he came and He had a smaller church than ours, but he made it work. Hmm. Um, so I was happy for him. But for me, I needed to go to the whiteboard, and yeah. I needed to learn those church planning skills. Yeah. So at that point, I was convinced I wasn't necessarily revitalizer as much as because everything i learned was church planning yeah but they they go the same yeah yeah and so um i think i could do a revitalization now but then yeah um people don't realize the pain that comes with a church to close absolutely get a depression yeah even when you've done your best and it's not bad or wrong it's still hurtful absolutely yeah and so yeah so the season i went through with that but i did a lot of stuff i took a lot of advice um, 
I fell in love with GCA Global Church Advancement during that time. Okay. Steve Childers stuff was amazing. I was coming in Acts 29 at that same time, okay. learning from several leaders in Acts 29 and supported even by them. Okay. Dr. Eric Mason invested heavily in me mm. and it didn't work. Okay. Thanks for sharing that because I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of guys that get that go through the same thing and the yeah, you mentioned failure, but it's like, yeah, but is it like it, it there's there's good ministry that happened. There's yeah. faithful things that happen in those people's lives and yeah. The gospel works, Brian. That's you know, right, man. you preach the gospel if you're a failing revitalizer of a church and you preach the gospel like the gospel don't stop working because you're not good yeah. at planting the church. <laughs> the gospel still works. That's right. <laughs> you know. I'm glad you said that. Okay, so when that was done, did you plant next? Was that what the Yeah, next so thing what I did was Dr. Eric Mason said he said, "Doug, I need you to I need you to come in, do this residency." Because the necessary herbs and spices you need, I need you not planting, and I need you with me, and I'll pour them into you, mm. and then we'll send you out. But let's get these necessary essentials into you so that when you go out, you're out there for a long time. You're not cutting and pasting, and you're not falling into depression because of all that you don't know. Mm -hmm. You're not going to know everything, but you don't know enough to form a healthy church. But, but you're, not, you're close. So come do two or three years with me, and I believe by God's grace, you'll be ready. Okay. That's what happened. Okay. And so, were you? Oh, I, I want to, I, I think I was. Um, 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 I was, well, the beauty of that comes with a residency. I'm working on a book now called 12 Essentials of a Church Planner. One thing I got, which Mason, Dr. Mason was very, he's a, he's a Bible boy all day. So one thing, I needed a home church. Yeah. The church I left to go to, to do that revitalization. A lot of people loved me, but the pastor and the leaders, they weren't a fan of me not going to a Baptist church. Yeah, okay. So I felt homeless leaving that church. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a pastor because he cut me loose. Um, because we disagreed on some things. Even the term elder, he mm -hmm. hated. And so, you know, and so I was without spiritual fathering, and I was without a home church. Mm. I lacked an Antioch hub to send love, support, and ride for me. Yeah. Um, and so Eric Mason and Epiphany Philly, oh, I love that church. That's my home church. I'm glad I can say that. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, they, they just love me up big. Um, and you can just grow exponentially in an environment where failure doesn't equal divorce. Mm. So I was able to fail at things trying to do better at Epiphany. And nobody pulled out the guillotine. Hmm. They coached me up. Yeah, that's good. And so the environment changed my whole posture. And it allowed my insecurities to drop, which gave me a, a wider and a broader band capacity to learn, digest, and not fear failure anymore mm -hmm. um, because I had an environment where it didn't equal execution. Hmm. And so... That's the biggest thing. It was an emotional deal. And then secondly, Eric Mason's a, um, a brilliant theologian, church planner, and he taught me a lot. Yeah. And Paul Tripp was the, I did the internship with them too, and Paul Tripp taught me a million things. And both 10th Presbyterian Church and Epiphany rallied with me from 08 all the way to 2011 when they sent me to plant. And mm -hmm. um, I learned a million things from Phil Riken about preaching, from Paul Tripp about gospel engagement, because, you know, he says gospel every 
other word in his book. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and that's he, how you know you're committed to it. Right, right. 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 You say it a lot. You say it all the time. And he's the he's the most generous dude you ever met. He takes you to the flyest restaurants. And so um, <laughs> I just love getting mentored by him because every time you got finished, he took you to a fly restaurant where they knew him. It's good to know. And um, um, he's like a he's like a food evangelist. Hmm. He evangelized good restaurant owners. And so um, and then Mason just took me around the country with him. Okay. One thing he did strategically is he introduced me to everybody in X twenty nine and in every other place. So I traveled with him. So when I came time to raise support after I was launching, he would always say, "Doug is going to be planting." He gonna come back and pick your pocket. That's yeah, brilliant. And yeah. I went back and picked their pocket yeah. by God's grace. And and That's to good. start off with a church plant with a lot of friends, um, like an Eric, like a like a Matt Chandler, my dear friend who I love dearly, like a Brian Howard who I bang with right now. Uh-huh. He's my boss. He's my executive director at X twenty nine, and just a host of people from the Elliot Grudems of the world and all those guys. Man, they just loved me, That's helped cool. me, supported me. It's crazy. So talk about your church plant. So you planted in 2011, and you stayed until 2019. Is that right? So 18. 18. So so seven, eight years at the yeah. church plant. We just talk about that ministry and how that church, how that went. And ask me better questions, Brian, because these are broad. I'm just going to ramble. So <laughs> that's what I want you to do. Okay. Man. Well, man. So getting to the church, man. What I wanted to do was one big thing about when I was at the National Baptist Church, um, man. I did evangelism because I owned a barbershop. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I'm i talking junk. And in the barbershop, you know what I got on? I got on Jordans and jeans, right? <laughs> right? I'm chilling. I'm talking that talk. Half of my explanations of the gospel come from 90s hip-hop music. You know, um, we talking junk. We playing basketball. I'm playing. We arguing about sports, tying it all together. So, man, it was a great field for doubters, you know, I had Hebrew Israelites that got the haircut at my shop, Jehovah Witness, Muslims, all type of people. So it forced you to really dig into your Bible Mm -hmm. because once they knew I was a Christian and um, I had to battle now the Bible and then my wife was white. So then I had to explain how this and that and how this it was so much all mixed up in there, Mm -hmm. man. Yeah. So a lot of those. So several people were coming to faith. In the barbershop. Yeah, interesting. And, but remember, I got on, I got on J's, I got on Jordans and jeans and polo. <laughs> That's how I play. And we get to the church and they come in there like that and they look like they about to rob the place right. according to the attire in the church. Yeah. Now, um, nobody particularly mistreated them, but they weren't treated well in that. I remember one guy I brought, somebody said to him that he needs to dress appropriately next time. Mm-hmm. He ain't got nobody saying that. The boy ain't naked. He got on clothes. Right. He's here for Jesus. He ain't here for a, a runway. Yeah. Like, back up off him, ma'am. Like, it was ridiculous. And so that was a big broke part of my heart that was broke when I would lead people to Christ by God's grace, man. And then I couldn't bring them to my church. Mm-hmm. And so when we got back to Camden, bro, having experienced um, Epiphany Philly and then several other church plants um, that I was highly impacted by Liberty Church in Philly. Man, I loved, um, I was highly impacted when I went to Sojourn in in, um, in, in Louisville. I loved what they were doing. Man, and I just never seen church like that. So I said, man, 
everybody's putting their expression in Acts 29 back then everything was artsy artsy farty yeah. it was yep. you know art gallery I said well I ain't got no art gallery but we're gonna do some cool stuff too uh -huh. so we wanted to take the cultural elements redeem them through the gospel man and bring that to the house so that we would be an Antioch hub for many and any to come man so that was the heart in my building of Epiphany it was to missionally engage the least last and the lost with the elements from the block transformed and used by the church to be the 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 Holy Ghost community that would be you know the ultimate place where you could come get loved learn and get led mm. and um, man and meet Jesus that's what my whole goal was for so that's why it was you know from I never forget we had like a like a um a PlayStation um Madden tournament. And if That's you won, good. yeah, like, so we had, you know, we got the projector. So they were playing on projector. Hmm. I mean, the place was packed. Yeah, right. You yeah. know, we had what I call church after church. I couldn't get people in the building, but if I had a cookout in the parking lot after church, I could get 300. Yeah. Have 80 on a Sunday, yeah. 300 in the back, in the parking lot. Yeah. So we just wanted to continue to do expressions. We did a thing called morning manna. Morning manna was we stood at some of the hottest drug corners near the bus stops, and we would just have fly coffee, donuts, and prayer. Mm. And we would just stand there in the traffic of running to the bus stop. Huh. And we would just stop and pray for people. That's great. We wanted to create, we wanted to be in the thick of it. There was a sign in North Camden and the logo, it was a little mo moniker from about 20 years ago. I found it on an old garbage can and it said, North Camden, where Camden happens. Hmm. And so I wanted to be where Camden happened. Yeah, yeah. And so that became a heart of what we wanted to do. Um, but we wanted to make sure we were robustly theologically driven. You know, Van Til talks about all, you know, all, all, all um, apologetics start with God, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, all theology starts with God. And so we wanted to make sure we were robustly um Christocentric in all that we did, but we wanted to make sure that we were both, you know, I talk about that in the book with Eric Mason, our, the Urban Apologetics book. We, we needed to be Berean. We needed to know the word robustly and be able to fight any component from Hebrew Israelite, the nation of Islam, yeah. um, to to the black mystery cults of the hood, any of them, um, in a loving way, trying to win them, not just trying to defeat them. Yeah. And at the same time, we needed to be Issacharian in nature because we needed to understand the times so that we could rightly reach the culture. And so we, I call that Berizacharians. Mm. We needed to be Berizacharians in nature, and that's what we sought to do. So we had a coffee shop called Matthew's Table. Mm. Of course, that's where Jesus ate with sinners, as the text yeah, right. said. That's great. And so stuff like that to our book bag drive that we gave away. 1,300 book bags, loaded a year, wow. moon bounce, um, rides. I served with the, on the mayor's hmm. pastoral team hmm. to be involved in the city. We cleaned up basketball courts. We, did, we just wanted to be a part of the fabric of the city. And I went from a suit, and t I, w I could go from a suit one week to a Jordan sweatsuit the next week. Mm -hmm. um, our music sounded more like Neo Soul. <laughs> then CCM, yeah. I, we took CCM and put some hot sauce and collard green juice on it, and we blacked it up. And you know that's how we do. That's <laughs> great. That's great, man. So what made so in 2018? What made you leave the plant? What what was God calling you to from there? Man, what happened was B B. We had planted at that point, Epiphany, Baltimore, Cruciform in Miami. Doc, Pastor Dave Rosa. Hmm. 
Epiphany Baltimore, Char Pastor Charlie Mitchell and Pastor Trevor Chin. We had helped Donnie Cho and Tim Shin and He Junior launch um, and continue in the ministry of Metro Church there in Philly. We, um, yeah, um, City Church with Pastor Raphael McCondela. It was a bunch of churches. Yeah. And I wasn't able to give myself to help them. So a part of our vision at Epiphany Camden with our residency, we bought a home next door to my house for residents to move in and do the two-year residency and plant. So okay. people were moving in and we were doing that. And then when they were out there on the, on the field, I was a pastor in Camden. Yeah. Most dangerous, most violent, most poor city in America. I couldn't take a bunch of calls because I was busy pastoring. Mm -hmm. I'm stingy. I tried to be as stingy as I could with myself for my flock. And first, you know, first Peter five, shepherd the flock of God that's amongst you. Mm -hmm. There was no way I was going to do that. Hold to the vision of planting multiple churches. Yeah. Yeah. So one of them had to go. So we just decided that the elders, man, got together and I just shared my heart. They says, and I remember Pastor Ernie who took over for me. He said, Diddy, I can't coach them guys, but I can plant this, I can pastor this church. Yeah. So if you okay to go, we don't want you to go. I said, no, I can go. I think that's what God is doing. So mm -hmm. we so we thought to continue and strengthen the vision of Epiphany Camden, which was to um, be a church in the city that helps plant churches in the cities mm -hmm. in America's inner cities. I needed to be able to coach those guys. I can't get them ready, send them, and then take their calls sporadically. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to do was set myself in position to help them financially, help them raise money, coach them, love them, be there for them, and then to create resource outlets mm. from seminary to book deals to just conferences to help them. Mm. And so the opportunity came at Acts 29. I jumped on it. Um, me and MSD and MES got together. Um, Backstory to that, Mez showed up at my house at in twenty early twenty seventeen after I preached at his place in twenty sixteen. Okay. And he just flew in. He was doing something with the Gettys. Yeah. And he came to my house, stayed at my house, went to watch football, he'll soccer, he'll say football, whatever. And um, Don't argue with him about it, by yeah, the way. Yeah, I don't I don't even care. Yeah. And um He's he's angry. I love him. And um When you said he came to your house, it was like to rob you? <laughs> The beanie, we the love beanie, Mez. we love Mez. The beanie bully, that's what I call him. <laughs> the beanie bully. So, so Mez came over and he sat down and he cast the whole vision for this ministry. And I said to him, "Sounds good to me. You gonna kill that, Mez?" Yeah. <laughs> he says, "Nah, we gonna kill that." We, yeah, that's right. I said, I, "If I do that, I gotta quit." Mm -hmm. He said. Yeah, baby. Well, do what you got to do, yeah, right? You know, his, yeah, baby. He thinks he's Austin Powers. And, uh, <laughs> and so I, I looked at him like he was a nut. I, like, I almost put him out of my house. And so I took him back to Philly to go to the get, hang out with the Gettys and get on the bus. And then I came back in the house and I said, Angel, because my wife was in there. She said, can you believe that? She says, yeah, you have to do that. Yeah. I was like, you hater. Are you Scottish? And I don't know it. <laughs> It's one of the great mysteries of the world is how Mez is so persuasive in the midst of everything else he does. So, tricking yeah. my wife. <laughs> tricking my wife because he treated the pizza. That, that's a dirty trick. And so next thing you know, I prayed and pondered. I started running to buy a couple of mentors. And they were like, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I was like, how that makes sense? I'm the pastor of Epiphany Camden. I'm retiring here. And he was yeah. like, shut up. Yeah. Like, you don't tell God. And so by the time the end of the year came, um, twenty twenty seven. So in the 2017, MSD shows up at my door. We sit down and 
map it out, man. And that yeah. was a part of me going as well. So we just knew we had to strengthen these planters. Yeah. You know, that Acts 14 yeah. was a big driving force. Let me pull that out. He says, and after he preached the gospel in the town and made many disciples, he returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in their faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. When he had appointed elders for them in each and every church and prayed and fasted, they, con they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. Mm -hmm. That was the philosophy for me yeah. leaving Epiphany Camden was we needed to strengthen we needed to continue to train, reinforce, to see elders appointed in churches and throughout these inner cities. Hmm. That was vital for us to get that done, both in Scotland and in Europe and the globe and in America's inner cities. Man, that's what, thank you for sharing that because, I mean, our, our stories intersect in a lot of ways because Practical Shepherding has been around for 10 plus years, but it hit a point in the last couple of years where kind of a choice has had to be made. Am I going to keep, am I going to pastor this church or am I going to give myself to this work of caring for pastors and training pastors and mentoring pastors? And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly resonate with, I mean, leaving the church you loved and, you know, felt like that's what kind of where you're going to stay forever, but God certainly has different plans at this point. So you went on, you went on staff with Acts 29 at that point, or you were already involved in, I was, I was staffing a, with X29 at that I point. was a board member at the time. Okay. All right. Um I was on executive board and I was a master student at Lancaster Bible College and I was planting two churches and I was writing a book. That was wow. 20, that was a long 2016. Yeah. And then 2017 Mez shows up to my house after I finally graduate, finish the book. The book gets released and I'm have a level of peace so I can go back to pastor my church because I had lost uh, all my leaders because I sent them to plant. Yep. And so at that point I was ready to kick in and like i was like okay we're gonna try to go a couple of more cities now and it switched up so i came so i was on the board i presented the vision um me and mez and msd worked it out church in our places of course mm -hmm. i was u.s they were primarily the rest of the globe yeah and um we just went forward so a lot of my spiritual sons came in and we just added a few more by god's grace um of i mean we tripled quadrupled the amount of urban dudes wow. in about a 12, 13 month period. Wow, that's amazing. And great conference run. Mm -hmm. And it was just good. I got great leaders, man. Tyler St. Clair, Steve Ross. I mean, I mean, my son was in the squad. My son, Aaron Logan, was doing a lot of videos and stuff for us. That's good. I mean, just across the country. So that happened. And yeah, man, we just began to build that. And um, it just kept, it kept taking off. You know, we had a little wrinkle, um, but God saw fit to see us continue and to see now Acts 29 Urban I handed that to um, Tyler St. Clair who um, is out of Cornerstone Church in Detroit doing a great job leading Acts 29 Urban mm. and um, a lot of the writing that gets done is Steve Ross he's now in Ventura but he's from you know South Central LA and yeah just a lot of mm. um, good leaders that God graced me with that's good so where does Grimke fall into this we explain that well Grimke was a part of the vision man I I Listen, man, I'm a, I'm just a triperspectivalist, you know. <laughs> I like John Frame, man. I like that <clears throat> that trip play, excuse me. Mm. And um, you know, so I've seen ministry move through seminaries, uh, publishing, and church planning mm -hmm. through the church. Mm -hmm. And so I think that 
in the urban context, we lack resources. Mm. I mean, I was going through my books because I'm writing a book now, and I was looking at stuff, you know, because I don't want to sound like an arrogant idiot when I write without, you know, some support. Yeah. And some of my youngest books are from 92, huh. 91. Yeah. We don't have a lot of modern, grimy, inner city urban ministry because that word urban has morphed so many times. Right. Urban now can mean exposed brick. Right. You know, um, when I grew up, urban meant black and brown, urban poor, hood. Mm-hmm. Um, now it could just mean dense, densely populated. So people who wrote in those landscapes, like an Eldon Villafanye from Gordon Conwell, mm-hmm. um, the Ray Bakis, the Roger Greenways, the Harvey Cons, the Manny Ortiz, who was a uh, who I loved, who was in heaven now, man, um, they haven't written books in twenty something years, mm-hmm. and so we need urban resources. Problem is, Brian, a lot of the urban guys that are doing church planning, a lot of them didn't have masters and doctors. A lot of them had undergrads. Um, some of them not in, you know, Christian ministry, but, you know, undergrads and, and all that. But a lot of, a lot of them didn't have masters and doctorates, which would attract and open doors for us to write books, to contribute to the modern urban frontier of urban ministry. And so I wanted to make sure we had a school in place that was not, that didn't take a place of prominence. What I mean by that <clears throat> is the seminary can take a place of prominence over the church. Seminaries don't plant churches. Churches plant churches. So I come alongside <clears throat> as a training wheel yeah. on the bike of the church. I'm a little wheel off to the side, be down in the back. You, So I'm here to, so I'm, our little moniker is pastors training pastors for the church. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so we, you know, um, pastor training pastors for the church. So all of my professors, board members, we're all pastors, and we want to train for the church. So to come, you you got to be in pastoral ministry and recommended mm. through your elders. So that's very important for us. Mm. And um, in light of that, um, a lot of the Grimkey ministry. However, I wanted that for Urban, but my pastor, Pastor Brian Lachlan, he said Diddy. Everybody calls me Diddy, so he said Diddy, man. We got to do this thing, great wit, great commission and great witness, Matthew 28, all nations, Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or the most parts of the earth. Let's not do, because, you know, my biggest complaint, one of my biggest complaints is almost all the conservative seminaries in America have always been led by white males, yeah. pre and post emancipation. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't, we can't get an African-American or non-white male in a Southern Baptist seminary as a president. Yeah. Um, 150 years post-emancipation mm-hmm. and um, I don't understand that why at conservative seminaries um, we don't get more African Americans Latinos, Asians in those seats but we don't and second thing is a lot of times and I've thought about this a little bit man is the hood is excluded from evangelical thought 
It becomes this thing called urban ministry. No, it's ministry to the urban context. If it's treated like it's this specialty ministry and not a part of Pentecostal ethne, not a part of all nations, then it seems like it's a JV sort of thing that they do. No, it's a part of the comprehensive vision that Christ cast when he said, take the gospel to all nations. Mm -hmm. And so... I don't like when urban ministry is this little JV certificate program at these seminaries as if white middle class seminary and white middle class context is the point of reference as if that's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 28. He said all nations, but too often seminary looks like one nation, mm. a white nation, white middle class nation. That's not the point of reference. Now, am I saying that they're all races? No. So no. I don't want to hear no tweet or no email about that. There are a lot of godly people, but there is an exclusion and a neglect to robust theological education um, comprehensively. However, there are some great schools who are doing some great things. Yeah. I mean, Dr. Via, Elder Fiafani ran CUME, Center for Urban Ministerial Education in Boston. Dr. Eric Mason got his doctorate from CUME. Several people went to CUME. Yeah. I think a cuts in Philly, Center for Urban Theological Studies. Um, a lot of people went there, but there's just not enough. Those are few and far between doing good work. We need more. Why? Because it shouldn't just be this side extra thing. It should be a part of the whole. Yeah. It's not the parsing on the plate. It's a part of the ribeye. Yeah. And um and and needs to be treated as such. And so I wanted to start a school for that. And what my pastor and my CEO of Grimke said, nah, we're not gonna do urban. Because then we're just gonna do what you whine about all the time, Doug. You always <laughs> whining about it. We gotta do both. So uh. we do. So we just did a comprehensive school with the school of urban ministry. Okay. So Grimke was birthed out of trying to do both because they both need to know and learn together mm. because there's no urban justification. There's no urban sanctification. <laughs> so 80% of the degree is just the Bible. Yeah. And then we can parse off into inner city and center city yeah. through contextualization. Yeah. And that's the difference. So we wanted to do the Bible mm. and then make you a thorough contextualizer. Can I just say, man, I'm just I'm so excited about what's going on at Grimke, and I just I just want everybody to who's listening to check it out. A couple of details, like where is the seminary located, and what's the best way for people to maybe learn more about Grimke Seminary? Well, we're in Richmond. Well, we're primarily online, so we're eighty five eighty percent online, okay. and then they come to intensives in Richmond, Virginia, at Remnant Church. We currently we more recently got blessed by my church, Remnant Church, where the elders decided they would help us get a building in which we have. Mm. Now we got a beautiful building in um, historic downtown Richmond. I saw pictures, man. It looks amazing. Hey, look, man. Um, <laughs> it's nicer than my house. That's right. So, <laughs> so is this office, actually. That's how, that's how this works, apparently, you know? Yeah, man. So I love it. I work out of there. Um, you know, it's interesting that the building was built, you know, um, in 1850, so it was pre-emancipation, man. So oh, okay. you got the servant steps. So I walk up those servant steps oh, yeah, to remind yeah. myself of how far hmm. the Lord has brought the gospel and yeah. has done some stuff, man. God has done some stuff to see this Pente, this hmm. all nations min, um, ministry happen and to have, man, I got the best seminary team on earth. And I know people are going to say, how could you say that? You met everyone? No, I'm just biased. Yeah. And that's, up, and that's biased. okay. And that's okay. <laughs> So if uh, I would encourage everybody to to look go online, you know, check out Grimke Seminary, 
And uh, there's, I know there's ways to contact the seminary through the through the website. Yeah, just hit, just hit us up, man. Yeah. You can hit us up online. You'll get a, a live human response. <laughs> we're we're small enough that we want to talk to you directly. Yeah. Um, if you're thinking about coming, we want to talk to you. We want to, and um, we want to persuade you with the truth of who we are. So we're not going to do an e-harmony deal where we're going to lie about the color of our eyes and um, our height and our weight. We're going to tell you just who we are, what we can do. People lie on e-harmony. That's a, that's a different podcast. Never mind, man. Never mind. And I, and listen, if you're thinking about it, man, I want to be your president. I want to sign your degree. I want to grow you. I want to help you. I want to make you a better pastor. Excellent. I want to impact you, man. So come on, man. I'll be your president. I love you. We got the. We got good food, good fun, good fellowship. Come on through. We love to have you. That's excellent. That's excellent.